That's a believable message, isn't it? Amen. Thank you very much. Hey, kids, you know the drill. Ages three through first grade, you can head back to children's worship. It looks like you get Pastor Daryl today. That's a good thing. I'm grateful for that. And for the rest of us, would you turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11? And we'll begin reading in verse 23. By faith, Moses, when he was born, squealed like that. Y'all okay if we start over? By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, considering the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith he left Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is unseen. By faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of the blood so that he, would, he who destroyed the firstborn would not touch them. By faith they passed through the Red Sea as though they were passing through dry land, and the Egyptians, when they attempted it, were drowned. By faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days, and by faith Rahab the harlot did not perish along with those who were disobedient after she had welcomed the spies in peace. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we turn our attention to you, the great and awesome God. As the song has told us, there's nothing better than you. You are the greatest, and we love you deeply. We love you, O God, because you have saved our souls. We love you because you are altogether lovely. Father, we ask that you would watch over this time and our meditations. We pray that you will help us to stay the course of faith, to not wander, to not give up. We pray for our kids in children's worship and ask, O oh God, that they would learn to walk with you and to worship you with the entirety of their lives. Give Daryl the wisdom to speak your gospel to them. And Father, grant that your covenant promises will be fulfilled in their lives. For you are the one who has sworn, I will be your God and the God of your descendants after you. Be faithful to your word, O oh God. Remember your promises. And we ask now that you would guide our thoughts in Jesus' name. Amen. So Robin's uncle is a flight instructor in uh, Florida, and he used to work with a, a small Christian college down there, and uh, we, we were down there at their, at their place a couple times. And I remember him telling us a story about what it's like to fly to the Bahamas from where they're at in southern Florida. And he said, you know, it's a beautiful flight. He says, but there's just a few moments of terror because you get to this point, and you can't see land behind you, and you can't see land in front of you, and you, <laughs> that, that moment, can you imagine? No landmarks, and you're just flying. And this is a great example of faith, right? Am I on the right course? And you don't want to second-guess that at that point either. 
And so it's just it's it's always uh, stuck with me. That's a, that's a great reminder. We're looking at this book, the book of Hebrews, which is a letter to Jewish believers. Um, and uh, as we, we come to a place in chapter 11 where the author is just reminding these Jewish believers about the Hebrew faithful, these faithful individuals that they knew about from reading the Old Testament, they had heard the stories their whole lives, they were, they were very much aware of, of what they were seeing. And in it, the author is calling on them to continue to believe, to believe. He shows them in verses 1 through 7 that faith brings blessing, and he invites them to receive those blessings. He shows them in verses 8 through 12 that faith requires exercise. It's not something that's just automatic. You've got to work at it. Verses 13 through 16, he shows that it's faith that leads us home. That's where we're headed every time. And in 17 through 22 that we looked at a couple weeks ago, that faith has hope in the future, that it looks to the future with hope. And today, we're going to see this, this invitation to stay the course of faith, to not wander, to not quit, just like that flight to the Bahamas. That you don't want to, you don't want to turn off and say, well, maybe it's a little bit to the left. You don't want to turn off a little to the right. You don't want to give up and say, well, I don't know, I'll just kind of quit, right? That kind of is a bad thing over the ocean, right? And so this is a very similar thing, that we need to continue to stay the course of faith. How do we do that? I think the passage gives us three steps that we can take to do that. And the first is, if, if you're going to stay the course of faith, you have to keep your focus. To keep your focus. In uh, Arizona, there's a, a wildlife park that we went to a number of times when we lived there called Out of Africa. And uh, it, it started out with this, this couple who liked to raise exotic pets, like lions, and tigers. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm not sure I'm raising a pet that can eat me, right? Yeah, I'm, I'm not going to go there. But, but that's what they did, and they found out that it was kind of illegal. So they decided, well, we need to do something different. And so they started this wildlife park. And so they had this wildlife park in which they interact with the animals. And it's, it's really unique because they've built this relationship. They don't, they don't bring in wild animals. They bring in the, the animals that have been raised from, from birth with humans and with that constant interaction with the humans and that assists them. But even so, sometimes, and as you watch, they teach you about some of the natural behaviors of these animals. And you'll, you'll be watching, and, and they've got people standing around, and they've got, they've got uh, they use trash can lids, and they're holding these trash can lids, and they're between the animals and the crowd, and they say, well, there are two purposes of these trash can lids. Number one, sometimes these animals spray, and so they're protecting you. But number two is every now and then they'll see the, the animal, the lion, will, and I think it maybe has a, a, a picture up here, will get this look on them, and the tail begins to twitch, and they begin to crouch, and they say they just focus. And they know at that moment the predation instinct is now kicked in. And so this animal is about to leap. Now they probably won't kill the individual they leap on, but <laughs> it's, a, it's a whole lot of animal. And so at that moment, they use the, the trash can lids to bang, to just do anything they can to break that focus that they've got. And I think that's a, a, a good picture. And I, we played basketball yesterday with Justin, and he was telling me about the, the need for focus as he's teaching kids about shooting and that they have to stand and they've got to focus and not lose any sight. And that as they're shooting, if it touches any rim, they have to start over. Is that correct? And so they just got to, and he says the way to do that is just that complete focus, 
never getting their eyes off of this is the target. I think it's a, a I told you I was going to use that, but it's, it's, a, it's a great reminder of what we have to do in our faith. We've got to keep our focus because there are all kinds of distractions, right? We got people all around us with trash can lids banging them like crazy to break our focus from what it needs to be on. And we need to keep it on what the Lord is calling us to. Um, for, for instance, think about why did Moses' parents hide him? The passage tells us, right? It says because they saw that he was beautiful. Why did Moses choose ill-treatment with the people of God? Because he was seeing him who is unseen. And it's that, that focus upon what am I looking at? What am I seeing? They saw this child is beautiful, and therefore it doesn't matter what the king's edict is. This is the right thing to do because I'm focused. Moses said, I know it's going to be hard on me, but it doesn't matter because this is the right thing to do because look, here is where God is. And so he kept his focus and they all continually focused. The word to see, which is used in both of these passages, is a word that has at the root the idea of to stare at. And to me, the picture of the lion, that's what that is, right? That's staring at something. It's just that intense focus. That's what it is to see, to focus on something, to recognize what really matters. To keep our focus, I need to know what really matters. Notice he uses the, the word fear in verse 23, that they were not afraid of the king's edict. And in verse 27, that uh, he was not fearing the wrath of the king, that this fear uh, was something that they didn't have. But fear is something that's very common in our lives. Larry Crabb says he believes that it is the number one motivating factor in most people's lives. That fear drives us more than any other experience, more than any other motivation. It's fear that moves us. And if we think about, what, what does it mean to be afraid of something? What do I fear? And I think fear comes in when there's a possibility that I'm going to lose something that I believe I need, or maybe it's just something that's valuable. Whether it might be that I might lose my life, right? And I'm afraid that I might lose my life, even though Jesus says, do not fear him who can kill the body, but fear him who can cast body and soul into hell. But I'm afraid when I might lose my life. I'm afraid when I might lose my health, right? I'm concerned about that. I'm afraid when I might lose my wealth. I'm afraid that I might lose my loved ones. All of those are expressions of the things that are valuable to us. And when I'm afraid that I might lose something that's valuable to me, something that matters. Well, what really matters in our lives? I think the, the, one of the things we see is that, that people matter. Notice that Moses' parents saw that he was a beautiful child. That is, that he was, he was noteworthy. They, they recognized in Moses that he represented God, that he was... Um, in the image of God. They saw something of God in this little baby. They saw that he mattered. And they valued him enough that they could set aside the fear that would have normally been there. Let's think about that this week. Moses was beautiful. And I'm thinking about, what is beauty? What is beautiful? 
And I think in our society, we, we're taught, we see the example that I think most of us believe that beauty makes something lovable, right? It's its beauty that makes us love it. Whereas I think that's backwards. I'm completely convinced that it is our love which makes something beautiful. This is why I actually, I I don't have any ugly friends. I thought long and hard about it. I thought about each of you. I don't have any ugly friends. Because my love makes them beautiful. Well, this is... It feels weird to say this, but, but I think that that concept is, is profound. Because what that means is I have the ability to find beauty in everyone. And to see that every person matters as I seek to simply love people. And as I get to know them, I can love them even more. And all of a sudden, I don't have ugly strangers around me either. I see their beauty, because that's what love is able to do. People matter, but you know what else matters? Heaven matters. Moses looked to the reward. Right? It says, uh, verse 26, he considered the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. What was the reward? Heaven, right? Moses was focused on, I'm going to heaven. I'm living for heaven now. I'm looking to the reward, that which God will provide for me, that which God will eventually give me. I can put up with all of the sufferings in this world knowing that it is God who will provide. God is going to give me what I ultimately need. He will give me that reward. In John I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 6, Jesus in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount tells us in verse 20, he says, But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. He reminds us that we're able to determine that which is valuable. We're able to set our hearts on heaven and say that's what matters. So he says in verse 33, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. That reminder that I need to look to heaven. The second step of keeping my focus, first I need to know what really matters and then I need to look to God. Again, going to verse 27, by faith he left Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is unseen. Hebrews 11.6 tells us that without faith it's impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who seek him. Now many of us have got that memorized, right? Yeah, we know this. We, we got that down. We, we understand that without faith it's impossible to please God. For the one who comes to him must believe that he exists and he's a rewarder of those who seek him. And yet I think it's very easy for us to skip over two of the important concepts in this passage. In that verse, do you see for the one who comes to him? And that he's a rewarder of those who seek him. You see, he's reminding us that God is not an idea. In our Sunday school class, we were talking about the New Age movement today and and recognizing what it is to have an impersonal God, which is what the New Age movement has. It's not a God who relates to individuals. But we 
believe in a God who is real. A real God with whom we relate. With whom we can come to Him. We can actually pursue Him. We can seek Him. We can desire that relationship. And we can take steps so that we might have a relationship with Him who is the only true God. And that's what Moses was looking to. And it's a reminder to us that we can look to God because He is real. I remember one time I was uh, witnessing to someone from my uh, New Age group that I'd been a part of and uh, was explaining you know, the, the God of the Bible and he says, I could never believe in a God like that. And I said, but that's who he is. It's like, I'm not going to believe in automobiles. It doesn't change the fact of automobiles, does it? It'll just make my life a bit harder and possibly dangerous crossing streets. Because whether I believe in it or not, it can still run me right over. I need to connect myself with that which is real, and God is real. He is there. And not only is He real, He's a person with whom I can have a relationship, with whom I can talk and I can share myself, and He actually cares, with whom He will interact with me. Not by giving me some great revelation, but by His Spirit actually giving me real comfort and reminding me of His Word and drawing me to himself, and he's a person who's available, always and only. So I need to be able to be still and follow him, to be still and to be with him. I was reminded of the comment that Rich Mullins, after a concert, someone came up to him and said, man, that was great. The spirit was was really moving tonight. He says, how could you tell it was so loud? And I just like that understanding. So when I'm, when I'm still, isn't that what uh, Elijah found out? As he's hiding, and he's waiting for God to somehow get involved in him. And it was through the, the thunderstorm and, and the heavy wind, and it's not there, and then it was really still. He said, now, now is where God is going to show up. So my first step in, in staying the course is I've got to keep my focus. So secondly, uh, very simply, I have to trust Jesus. Verse 28. By faith, he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of the blood so that he who destroyed the firstborn would not touch them. I want to stop on this verse. I wanted us to specifically focus on the significance of this verse. It's really powerful. Um, if, do any of you read any Puritans from time to time? A couple of us, yeah. The Puritans love lists, right? They love to give a list. A 12-point sermon would be kind of a short homily for some of the, some of the Puritans, right? And they're just, but they're going to have their list. Here's, here's the points. Here's what you do. And I have been amazed how many books by Puritans that I read. I start in the first chapter. First chapter is, you need to trust Jesus Christ. That's where they begin. That's the beginning point. You're going to have all these steps. Do you need, to, you need to mow your lawn this week? To do that properly, the first thing you have to do is be rightly reconciled to God through Jesus Christ, Right? That's the first step. You need to do the dishes first. Be rightly reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. That's our starting point. And in the midst of this whole section, the the, the author of Hebrews wants to remind us of that because he brings up the idea of the Passover. We're familiar with the concept of the Passover, right? We we recognize what was going on, that God was was bringing these, uh, using Moses, and uh, we'd had all the different uh, curses that he'd brought, uh, the plagues that he brought upon Egypt. And every one of those plagues was an invitation to Pharaoh and all of Egypt to repent 
and put their faith in the God of Israel. That was the primary purpose of all of the plagues, was to invite Egypt to faith in Jehovah. We come up to this last one, and Moses is told, I am going to come across and slay all the firstborn. In order to not be killed, your firstborn not to be killed, you've got to be inside a house, you've got to have blood on the, on the doorpost, right? So it has to happen. So what do we see about Moses? By faith, what did he do? By faith, he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of the blood. The first thing is we see from that is he believed the message, didn't he? God said, I'm going to kill the firstborn. And Moses believed that God was actually going to do that. And then he also believed the method, which is you've got to put blood on the, the doorpost. Now think about it. In, in a very real sense, that seems kind of silly, doesn't it? It's like, how is that going to help, Lord? Except when I believe God. Kind of like when we take communion, right? Really? Seriously? What's this? It's not even enough bread to barely taste, right? I think we were at a place having communion on Sunday, and the pastor was surprised because they had really big pieces of bread. And he said, it's going to take a while to do this before we can move to the next part because it's such a big piece. And, but he was, he, was, he was surprised. What good is that going to do to take bread and to drink cup, right? Nothing unless I believe. And Moses believed the message and believed God's solution. The message is that we are each guilty. The sprinkling of the blood. The blood. In Hebrews 9.22 we read, And according to the law, one may almost say, All things are cleansed with blood, and without shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. This mentioning of blood is a reminder of the need for forgiveness. And each one of us needs to be forgiven. The Westminster Shorter Catechism, question 14, asks, What is sin? Sin is any want of conformity unto or transgression of the law of God. And I want you to see a couple different things from this. First of all, the, the want of conformity is the, the failure to, I guess you could talk about that as the, the sins of omission. Failure to do the things that God has commanded us. But you also have sins of commission, which is then the second part, which is a transgression of the law of God. So we can sin against God by not doing what he's told us to do, right? Or we can sin against God by doing what he's told us not to do. And we can sin against God in our thoughts, with our words, or with our deeds. Now look at your own heart. You know you're guilty, right? You know you've broken his commandment. One of the great questions that Evangelism Explosion asks someone is, how many times a day do you think you sin? In which you break his law or fail to keep his law in your thoughts, in your words, or in your deeds. And the idea is most folks are going to say uh, hundreds, right? They begin to recognize that I do that. Well, well, when I understand that, that that's a reality and I see the depth of my sin and I recognize Romans 6.23, that the wages of sin is death. 
it leads me to have to believe the second part of Romans 6.23, that the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. That I need something from him. And so the message is that we're all guilty. The solution is that Jesus paid it all. You've heard me say that before, right? Let's think about it for just a moment. Jesus is the only one who could. First of all, it's God who knows all of our sin, right? And his omniscience. He knows everything. And so he's the one who knows every one of your sins. If he didn't know everything, he might miss one. And what's the price owed for that one that he missed? Death. But he didn't miss any. And number two, Jesus, who's fully God, is omnipotent. And it took an omnipotent God to bear the weight of all of that wrath. A righteous man could barely, couldn't even pay for himself. And so it took Jesus to take all of that wrath from God upon himself to absorb the full extent of the punishment due for every sin of every one of his people and to fully receive that completely in himself so that he can say, it is finished. The payment is made in full. It's complete. Jesus paid it all. Will you believe that message? That you are guilty? And will you trust that solution that Jesus paid it all this day? Please believe. Put your trust in Him. If you've never done that, if you've never understood it until this day, now is the time in which God is inviting you. Put your trust in Him. The first step is to keep your focus. The second is to trust Jesus. And the third is to put your faith into action. Verses 29-31. through By faith they passed through the Red Sea as though they were passing through dry land and the Egyptians, when they attempted it, were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab the harlot did not perish along with those who were disobedient after she had welcomed the spies in peace. James 2.26 tells us that for just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. We've got to put our faith into action. Um, I use a common illustration. Maybe you've heard of it before. I call it the train. And the purpose of the train is to explain to us the heart, the human heart according to the Bible. The Bible tells us that in our heart we think. The Bible tells us in our heart we choose. And the Bible tells us that in our heart we feel. All three of them are, are aspects of the heart. The heart is the mind, the will, and the emotion. All three Sometimes it emphasizes one or the other or two or, or, or all three, but we recognize these are the three components. We have to understand the way the heart works is just like a train. And that is to say that the, the uh, emotions, the caboose, cannot pull a train. There's no motive power there. It's always a response to the other cars, right? It is only the engine that pulls the train, which is why the Apostle Paul says, um, do not conform to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's the power. That's where things are going to move forward. But it's not just the mind. One of the problems we have in Reformed circles and Calvinistic circles, we have a tendency to posit faith in the mind. We think that if I think it, that I believe it. But yet when we think about it, we know that isn't true, right? 
I believe it when I act on it. That's when faith occurs. That's why James says, faith without works is dead. It's in my will that faith occurs. And I need to recognize that. We, we see this in a lot of ways. Have, have you seen people who espouse a particular philosophy and then don't live it? Among Christians, there's a word that's usually used for that, right? It's called hypocrite, right? Somebody who espouses something, but they don't live it. They live inconsistent with it. I think that happens all the time. We don't recognize that the purpose of philosophy is to direct our lives and to change us. Now, how many times I, I read a church's philosophy of ministry and I get to know the church and I say, well, that's not, that's not what they're living. That's not what they really are valuing. It's a beautiful sounding thing, but when we see how a church lives it, we understand that's really what their philosophy is, what they want to live. We see a person, we recognize that. Laid before us are various Hebrews who lived their faith, right? So what do we learn about putting our faith into action? First of all, I think we see that it's, it's risky. It's risky. Isn't that precisely what we were told this morning? He reminded us of that and, and the desire to take the risk. It's risky. Imagine what it would have been like to step into the Red Sea. Are you kidding me? You want me to do what? Can you imagine? And walking through and looking, and, and you see these animals? You know, with the, the horrible tragedy that, that we, we saw with uh, the, the submersible Titan in the last, last week, many different places were showing what the actual depths are. And did you see the depth of the Red Sea that was listed in some of these, these graphics? I mean, we're not talking about just uh, walking as, as, as someone has said, oh, it's just a Red Sea, it's only up to the knee. To which Pastor Chuck Smith said, well, great, then God drowned an entire Egyptian army in water just up to the knee. But anyway, what we're talking about, this is, this is, this is a, a, a deep place that they're walking through. And to recognize what that would be like to step out into that spot, it's terrifying, isn't it? But they had to take that step of faith. They believed God, so they took that step. Can you imagine what it was like marching around Jericho? That great uh, military strategy that was uh, proposed by God. Yes, what I want you to do is get close enough within their, uh, the, the uh, shot of their arrows and rocks and other stuff and just, just, just walk around the, the town. How about that? Seven days, okay? And the last day, we'll do it seven times in a row. Really? Who would have thought this is a great idea? Why would they do it? Faith. And it was a risk, wasn't it? As you trust in Christ, you will be persecuted. You will be ridiculed. You will be minimized and slandered. It's a promise. It's a guarantee what we're going to face. Will you take the risk? As a Christian, you will face hardship. You will face suffering. You will face disease. And you will face death. Most likely. There is the possibility of the Enoch moment, or Jesus might come back. But most of us are going to have to face death. But the promise is that Jesus will carry you through. Will you take the risk?
To put our faith into action means it's risky. It also means I need to love. Look at Rahab. Rahab the harlot did not perish along with those who were disobedient after she welcomed the spies in peace. Rahab welcomed the spies. You remember the story? She welcomed them before she was given the promise. She welcomed them anyway. She welcomed them knowing that they could come in and probably would come in and destroy her town, knowing that Jericho might perish. She welcomed them knowing her own immorality. Even in this passage, she's called Rahab the harlot, which the the Greek word for harlot, you ready for this? Porne. Yep, it's the root word for pornography. That was Rahab. She was immoral. This is what her name was. This is how she was known. And even with the moral disparity between herself and these Israelites, these Hebrews, she welcomed them. And she welcomed them with peace. It says in peace. It literally would be with peace. This Gentile harlot found peace with the people of God. Isn't the gospel amazing? You know, as, as, as I see that, and, and, and you know how troubled I am uh, as, as I look at our, our world today with the tribalism that we find, that our tribe is good and their tribe is bad, and it doesn't matter who, who, and some people are in my tribe and their tribe, is the different tribes, and, and so sometimes they're good, sometimes they're And I just find myself just constantly dividing myself from other different people. Just went to General Assembly, and it's one of the things that was much less uh, clear this year. It was still there. There's still the, the, the tribal element, even within our own denomination, and, and uh, it, it, it's hard. But if I'm going to love, I think I'm going to get rid of the tribalism. I just don't think that it has a place in the heart of love to, to begin to say, my people are good and your people are bad, and to just kind of separate myself in that way. I don't, I don't think that's consistent. If, if Rahab the harlot can welcome the Israeli spies with peace. Surely we as followers of Jesus Christ and dwelt by the Spirit of God can love, right? And I think it also moves me to have to be able to see other people as the image of God. So, again, this, is, this, this book is written to Jewish believers now think about what they were facing at the time in which uh, the author of Hebrews wrote this. First of all, they were rejected by the Jews, by their own people. Their own people rejected them and didn't want anything to do with them, viewed them as heretics and had thrown them out. And they find themselves being cast out of the various synagogues and they're losing their place in society, they're losing their cultural connections, they're losing all of their family and their friends. They're persecuted by Rome because Rome sees them as a threat to Caesar because there's a different Lord. It's Jesus is Lord instead of Caesar is Lord. And, and this creates a problem. So they're, they're thrown out by their people. They're persecuted by the, the government. They're discouraged and they want to give up. Can you imagine? It's like all, all they have to do is say, you know what, never mind. I'm just going to go back and I'm just going to be a good old Jew. And everything's going to be fine. I'm going to go in with my people. They'll receive me back and then the Rome will be off my back and it'll just be fine. I'm just done. I, I just give up. I'm just, 
I'm just done. And the wise pastor who wrote this letter writes to them and reminds them, don't give up. Don't give up. Because the temptation was there. And the way to tell him to not give up, he gave him the example of Hebrew faithful who stayed the course of faith. The reality is it's hard for you as a Christian today too, isn't it? I mean, youth, you recognize that your friends may reject you for your faith, right? Some of the folks you hang out with may think that you, they don't really want to spend time with you because you're just this, this Christian person. They may call you names, and, and it can be very hard for you to face, right? For adults, it's hard for us because even other Christians we, we deal with, kind of sometimes they're just kind of living lukewarm too, right? And we see them and just, they don't want to be all in for Jesus. They're just kind of in for Jesus. And it can push us to want to join with that. And for every one of us, we live in an age in which Christians are viewed as the problem. Found that at General Assembly time after time after time after time in speeches. That that's what the world thinks of us. The world is watching us. What does the world think of us? Well, they think we're the problem. They think that our uh, ethical stances are, are intolerant and unkind. They think that our view of the polity in the church is just all wrong and archaic, and that we're the problem in this world. This is what we face as Christians. Sometimes you just want to give up, right? Sometimes you just want to soft pedal. Let's just kind of ease up. The author of Hebrews says to every one of us, stay the course of faith. Don't give up. We can't see the Bahamas yet, but they're coming. To keep looking. Stay the course of faith. Keep your focus. Trust Jesus and put your faith into action. Let's pray. Our Father, we do love you. We thank you for the life that you've given us. We thank you for your word which directs us. We thank you for the example of Moses' parents, of Moses of the Israelites, of Rahab. And Father, help us to stay the course. I pray for this church, O oh God. I pray that you will bless her, that she will be called by you as a church that remains faithful to you and faithful to the Great Commission. I pray, O oh God, that you will help us have an impact in the world around us beyond our wildest expectations. That we will be able to minister to the world around us and to ourselves with the very power of the Spirit of God. And Lord, keep us from all evil that we might not give up, but that you'll keep us from being a harm. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.